David Trainer, welcome back to Seeking Alpha. Welcome back to Investing Experts. Always great to have you on the show. So thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Rena. I am glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you back on. You were on last summer talking about markets and some of the stocks you like, some of the stocks you didn't like. You've had a few recent articles on Seeking Alpha talking about some ETFs and sectors. How are you thinking about things kind of the end of February 2024? Well, I think the the most important driver really of markets these days is the the Fed and and liquidity. As long as we're pumping more liquidity into the market, fiscal, monetary, whichever, uh, I think we're going to th- see stocks start to um, just continue to move up in the way we have. And, you know, we're inventing new meme stocks, you know, all the time, you know, NVIDIA, ARM, et cetera. And I think we're seeing actually a bit of a, a sophistication improvement, I believe, in our retail investing base where to be a meme stock, you don't have to be a junk, a junk stock, right? Uh you know, you know, Walmart even taking a big run. You know, if Walmart was a focusless stock of ours for a long time. It got expensive. We took it off the list. You know, it's had a huge run up this year. And I think what's happening is that this liquidity is, is potentially, you know, this excess liquidity in a lot of individual and retail hands is getting smarter. I think the bored apes got bored with chasing meme stocks and they said, you know, I don't have to put my money into a junk stock. Uh, that's about to go bankrupt. Why don't I invest in Walmart? <laughs> uh, and and just take some risk off the table and 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 do just as well, probably. So I, I think that that's a positive movement. Uh, but Rena, in terms of the overall market, I think a lot of that really just depends on what the Fed's doing and where people see rates and what that means about excess liquidity. It's funny because this is a lot about what we were talking about in July and. The more things change, the more they stay the same. How are you thinking? There's a lot of talk, and we've been talking about this on the podcast about, you know, not there's not going to be rate cuts probably for the first six months of the year at least. How are you thinking about that? And and do you agree with how the Fed is handling things? Yeah, you know, look, I think it's a tough situation. I mean, you know, I think we I would have been much more different, much different about it earlier on. Would have raised sooner, not waited for as long. Uh, and so that creates a very different backdrop. And I think that the Fed's doing the right thing in the current circumstances. It's a wait and see kind of situation, you know, and, and they don't know. There are a lot of theories that there's a big lag effect um, that uh, catches up very quickly with respect to raising rates. And so the economy falls off a cliff, uh, spending and things like that fall off a cliff. That's not what appears to be the case. Um so it appears that the that despite the 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 sort of rapid increase, uh, it wasn't so high that it it sort of forced the engines of commerce to halt. It is slowing them down, which I think was the Fed's intended effect, and I think they got to continue to see it sort of hopefully continue to gradually slow, and and that's what they want is a soft landing. And in that process, what I hope is is that that investors get smarter and they chase fewer junk stocks to the traditional meme stock uh, and and put their money a little more, more intelligently into businesses that that actually create shareholder value and will in the long term create value for them. So what does that look like for you? How are you looking at worthy investments? Yeah, that's easy. That's energy and industrials. Uh the you know the the infrastructure 
of our economy, the physical infrastructure. The technological or digital infrastructure is important as well, but it's overvalued. And where we're seeing real pockets of opportunity are in energy and industrials, materials, uh, certain stocks in, in those sectors are really attractive. Uh, one sort of a case study poster child for, for that is Warrior Met Coal, a report that we published on Seeking Alpha. It came out a few months after we gave it to clients. Uh, and a lot of what we do on Seeking Alpha now is um, on individual stocks is, is going to be pretty significantly delayed. Um, but we Warrior Met Coal is just you know, an, an awesome example. It's I think it's up 60% since we first put it on our focus list. Uh, and it's just it's an awesome example of a business that's really overlooked, but super important and overlooked for a lot of reasons, right? The title of the report is Coal and Green Clothing because people mistake or they don't understand that there are two types of coal. There's thermal coal and metallurgical coal. The coal that's really bad for the environment that everyone says is, you know, needs to go away is thermal coal. Metallurgical coal, on the other hand, is, is not nearly as bad and not even close. Uh, and it is also an essential element in the production of steel. And steel is an essential element in the production of alternative energy equipment. So windmills, solar panels, they all require large amounts of high-grade steel. And so going up the value chain, right, we identified Warrior Met Coal at the time was trading as if its profits would permanently decline by 50 or 60 percent. And, you know, it had been thrown out with the, you know, that baby had been thrown out with the, the coal water, right? Uh, the thermal coal water. And in reality, they are not a, a business that is bad for the environment. And they are in a growth sector where we need, we need to get back to the producing the, the steel needed to, to keep the economy going. And that's in building bridges and building the materials required for transition to clean energy. And so that's that's a great example, I think, in terms of of materials, industrials, uh, picks that one of one of the picks we've had on that front that that um, has done really well. And we think will continue to do well. And what we, what I love about that, Rena, is that kind of a stock is that the risk reward is so much better, right? You got great all of us, all our long ideas. They're going to have are going to have great cash flow, right? Great free cash flow yields, um, and and yet it's super cheap, and it's in a growth business. Not a sexy one, not one that people talk about, but still a growth business, an essential business. And and, and it's just uh it's it's what we like to do at New Constructs is give people the kind of stock picks and investment advice they can put their head on their pillow at night and be comfortable with, that understand that this is something that's gonna happen. It may not be tomorrow, it may not be the next day, and NVIDIA news may trump the Warrior Met Coal news all day long, but you can trust that this is a business that's going to be around for a long time and it will create value. Aside from the fundamental story, are there certain metrics that you're focused on that are either sector specific that you tend to pay more attention to when you're trying to pick winners in the market? Rena, we have always been and will continue to be 
big fans of return on invested capital and free cash flow. You know, we think that it makes no sense to measure the performance of a business without understanding how much capital has gone into it and how much cash flow it generates. Full stop. If you're not doing that, you're not investing. You're speculating. If you don't understand the return on capital of the business, you're speculating. And if you don't understand the market's expectations for future returns on capital, you're speculating. So we, we'd like to, to divide the analytical process down into two parts. Understand the fundamentals today and understand the fundamentals of the future as reflected in the stock price. Because every stock price, right, is equal to the present value future cash flows. So we reverse engineer what the fundamentals have to be to justify the stock price. So it's if you don't have a fair understanding of where return on invested capital is today, how can you have a good assessment of the market's expected ROIC in the future? How do you know if that's good or bad? <laughs> right? If the market expects the return on invested capital to be 500%, which is what it does, you know, what it is for Nvidia, is that good or bad? You don't know if until you understand that well, Nvidia is around 40% right now. Uh and and so return on invested capital, free cash flow. Um, and, and I think I have to throw in a third one here because it's essential to both return on invested capital, free cash flow, and getting it right. And getting both of those right. And that's footnotes. Rena, footnotes in the financial statements where the the best data goes to hide. And I say it's the best because. It's the most market moving. Everybody's looking at income statements. A lot of people are looking at balance sheets, not that not as many. Everyone's looking at income statements, but almost no one is looking at footnotes. And we know that because professors from Harvard Business School and MIT Sloan studied it for years and published a paper in a top-tier peer-reviewed journal, the number theory peer-reviewed journal in the world, proving that the market does not discount footnotes. So there's idiosyncratic alpha or real edge to be gained from our, our analysis that includes footnotes. And in fact, we've got quant clients that pay us specifically for our footnotes adjustments as part of their systematic trading strategies. Uh, but the, the, the main thing is, is that, look, you need to gather all of the data so that you can correctly calculate return on invested capital and free cash flow. And, and I believe New Constructs does that better than anybody else in the business. And we've got proof from Harvard Business School, Ernst & Young, and others. And are there particular filings that you pick at or highlight more than others? It's the Ks and the Qs. You know, sometimes if they're international, they come off as, as a, a 6F or 20F. 10Ks, 10Qs, 6Ks, 20Fs, you know, all the things that pre present the financial statements. Not so much the 8Ks, those are unaudited, those are incomplete uh, press releases, rarely give you a full income statement, rarely, even more rarely give you a full income statement, a full balance sheet. And without without both of those, you really got no idea what's going on in the business. You got to have at least a balance sheet and an income statement. So um, we wait for the full financial data set to come out, which is usually within a day, sometimes the same time as a press release. And we, we use... AI to parse through those things, break them down word by word and get the footnotes data out. We add that footnotes data into our calculations of return on invested capital and free cash flow to ensure that we're giving our clients a true measure of profits 
And then, yeah, that feeds into how we screen for stocks, right? So our screening tools we think are the best in the business because we're screening with precision. Most of the time, screening is done without precision and, and keep people use really rough metrics because they just need to narrow the universe of 3,000 stocks down to 20. Uh, but a lot of times, 10 of those 20 stocks are not what they think they are because the screening tool is poor. And that's part of why our model portfolios, like the most attractive stocks or dividend growth stocks, are very popular and very successful because you know we've got screens that that really boil things down to stocks that have truly excellent fundamentals and cheap valuations based on screening with real precision because we're always bringing this footnotes advantage and insight to the table. And in terms of the energy sector, is there something that worries you in terms of internationally, in terms of a catalyst coming for, you know, very green or alternative energy that that kind of maybe trips you up a little bit? Not so, not so much. You know, we think the narrative shifting finally uh, in a positive way because, you know, we were building bridges to nowhere when we were effectively betting the, the world and the economy and the industrial complex on green energy. Just not there yet. It's going to take a couple of decades or more to build up enough green energy production to handle the demand. That's the bottom line. And this has been a big part of our research for a couple of years now as we've been putting more and more energy names in, on our on our long idea and focus list. And uh, our focus list, by the way, has been an extremely strong performer uh, since really 2021. It's really strongly outperformed the market. And we've been adding energy names consistently because when we do the research, we see fossil fuel demand and use going up over the next few years and not going down for 30 years. And when it does, going down marginally because there's just not enough energy from windmills, solar panels, et cetera, to take over. Bottom line, even the Energy Information Administration projects this. You know, anywhere you look, uh, you know, if you're doing your diligence, you're seeing energy demand is going up and green energy production is just not growing fast enough. And, and that's why you've seen, you know, folks like Larry Fink, you know, backpedal on, you know, being so you know, heavy-handed about forcing people to get out of fossil fuels. It's kind of a disaster. In many ways, we're seeing brownouts in California and other parts of the world because now we don't have the energy to support our needs because we, you know, basically sold off all these fossil fuel assets. Now they're buying them back. People are just waking up to the fact that, look, fossil fuels aren't going to go any anytime soon. And, and by the way, if you don't want energy prices to go through the roof, you need fossil fuels to fuel the world until green energy is ready. And that's not, you know, that's, that's, that's a ways off. Yeah. I think we've been talking a lot about this recently in terms of investing smartly and strategically, as opposed to being a reactionary. And there's so many ways to be a reactionary and there's so many reactionaries these days. I think it's hard to stay true to the strategy a lot of times because it seems that everybody's pushing you in, in certain directions and it's it's hard to remain kind of loyal to uh, a strategy or or being more thoughtful. 
in terms of the stocks that you like, are there other stocks that you would name right now or sectors? Yes, absolutely. And, and by the way, I couldn't agree with you more, Rena, on just how hard it is to remain disciplined and the cacophony of recommendations and noise. And, you know, we, we, we have a, an online community um, for new constructs, a society of intelligent investors. And, and, you know, one of the most interesting posts here this week was about uh, uh, an, an e-commerce and SEO expert uh, in our community who pointed out just how misleading Google searches are around finding quality research and how so many of these big firms manipulate SEO. And they admit it. They admit it in their in the fine print that they are putting out somewhat misleading information for the purpose of just getting leads. And so, um, yeah, what you're saying is is exactly right. It's becoming increasingly difficult for investors to to discern between signal and noise. There's part of why what we why what we do we think is so important because I have been steadfastly focused on this for a couple of decades. Uh, you can look at our track record and see we've been tooting the same horn for a long time, and we think we think it's going to matter more now. I think the the worst days are behind us because the zero interest rate policy is gone. We've got a Fed that is forced to reconcile with, with with inflation and is not going just to drop rates because the market says it thinks it should. And uh, in our in our stock track our stock picking track record on seeking alpha, uh, on some zero uh, in our model portfolios speaks for itself. And. Yeah, so I'd give you a couple of other other names that we think are, are really attractive. You know, um, uh, Enterprise Product Partners, ticker EPD, is one we, we like a lot. Um, similar story to Warrior Met Coal in, in terms of you know, being in, in a business that is super profitable and positioned to grow, but been sort of shunned and... and um, disregarded because it's in the energy space uh you know and and it's uh and one of the benefits from this business too is it's it's more in the transport of energy um as opposed to the production so it benefits you know in good and bad markets because it's it's just a middleman taking a profit uh and, and that's a good thing uh they've got a very strong diversified transportation network and you know look i mean that network can be used to transport traditional fossil fuels as well as the the greener kinds of fossil fuels like natural gas, uh, which is, we think, going to continue to be in demand because it's the cleanest of the fossil fuels and is readily available. So that's a, that's another good one in the in the energy space. Uh, you know, on, in the financial space, one of the one, a stock that we've liked for a long time, been one of our top picks. Uh, for for a while and has performed really well. That's J.P. Morgan. We uh, we think J.P. Morgan's a safer pick than the S and P because I think the S and P's got a lot of junk stocks in it, including Tesla, uh, and and it's carrying a lot of risk because so much sort of dumb money and and ETFs has just flown in flowed into it, and it just keeps allocating to these um, bigger you know market cap stocks and valuation risk is just getting higher and higher. Whereas at J.P. Morgan. You know, I know it's just one stock, but I, I think it's got a better risk reward profile than the S&P uh, because it is super high cash flow generating and got a really low risk valuation. The stock price for JP Morgan at 170 bucks 
implies its profits will permanently decline by 20%. So you got a large margin of safety there. And we think investors deserve that. You know, we really think that that's, that's something people need to be mindful of. And, you know, with all the uncertainty in the market and an election, people need to be investing intelligently around risk reward. It's coming back. That's what high rates does. It forces people to be acknowledge risk. When we had zero rates, there was no risk. There's risk now. So acknowledging some of that risk, you mentioned Tesla as a stock that you don't feel to be a worthy investment right now. And given its inclusion in the S&P 500, last time you were on, you were talking about Uber being on your zombie stock list. You've talked about NVIDIA already. You published a sell article on it on Seeking Alpha a few months ago. How would you contextualize why you're bearish on those three stocks? I know they might be for different reasons, but how would you contextualize for investors there? Yeah, NVIDIA, Tesla, and what was the third one? Uber. Uber. Yeah, I mean, it's um, NVIDIA is a, different, is a different animal because it does have great fundamentals. And this is kind of where I'm saying that the meme stock investors are getting smarter, right? You're not just investing in something because Wall Street dislikes it, right? I mean, Hertz, AMC, you know, I mean, they, they saved Hertz from bankruptcy, you know? I mean, Hertz was going bankrupt and they bought, you know, the stock went up and they sold stock and stayed around. Same with AMC. So these are complete junk businesses, right? And so why not invest in something like NVIDIA? Because the profits are strong. It's a great return on invested capital business. Used to be on our focus list until it got too expensive. Uh, but it's going, you know, it's, it's stock, it's valuation is at meme stock levels. I think if you read our report, you'll see something in there that the returns on capital have got to go to something like 300% and the company's got to grow revenues at at 30% compounded annually for 20 years or something just incredible. And at that point in time, it's going to have revenues that's larger than the GDP of Mexico. Grow revenue at 30% compounded annually for 15 years. Uh, that's what the current stock price, That's what it, that's what it implied at 484 bucks and what is it now 694 goodness gracious so um yeah i don't even i kind of don't know what to say i mean you know the the analysis and we've done some great reverse of dcf case studies which you can get from um on the society of intelligent investors they used to be on youtube but with large language models sort of dissecting everything we're taking them off of youtube but we did a reverse DCF case study. that just outlined what the what the company had to do to justify the price, and uh, it's you know I don't know what to tell you. It, it's it, you know looking at the at the at the numbers, it's just outrageous. There's few companies in the history of the world that have grown revenues, you know, at at, at over twenty percent for a significant period of time, but to do so thirty percent for fifteen years. You know, it's pretty outrageous, uh, and and that's again that was for four and eighty four, not six seven hundred dollars a share. Talking thirty percent, probably compounded annually for twenty twenty five years. You know, which would which which is like what the market share have to be at that point in time. It's like it assumes there's no competition. It also assumes that margins are maintained at, at a current level of thirty eight percent. You know, which is the highest ever. You know, so that you know to simultaneously maintain high margins. An extraordinary revenue growth for an extraordinary long period of time, it's just not. It doesn't happen. It's it's effectively impossible unless your technology is so good and you can retain your employees so well that 
you never lose them and no one is ever able to copy you. Because all that anybody else in the world wants to do is copy NVIDIA's business model right now. So, you know, the more profitable you are, the harder it is. That's the nature of a capital market. Yeah, I was going to say, just in terms of NVIDIA, I mean, you're talking about these extraordinary numbers and this extraordinary growth. And it's like, you know, the fans will say, well, yeah, this is about to be an extraordinary business in an extraordinary time. Maybe this is the stock to break all the records and to, you know, kind of put reasonableness on its face. Uh, you know, that's what's priced in. So, right. you know, that that's already priced in. And I'm, you know, looking that that's often the argument. I hear this all the time about all, you know, what's a retail stock, Wayfair, it's going to be the next Amazon. Snapchat's going to be the next Facebook, right? These are the narratives that that typically bring these companies public and Wall Street likes to pitch because it's easy comparison. Everyone likes to believe they're going to be in on the next great company. Well, there's only five or six of these companies around because that's all there ever is. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to be another Amazon or another Facebook. They're once-in-generation companies, another Google. Uh, and NVIDIA is already priced to be that once-in-another-generation company. Fair enough. So deeper thoughts on Tesla and Uber? Uh, very similar uh, on, on those stocks. You know, Tesla, you know, we're seeing it happen already. I think pretty pretty fast that this is a this is a business that has competition. The first mover advantage is gone, and uh, in that in, you know in that context, you know the 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 growth embedded in the stock price is completely unrealistic. I'm not saying Tesla's a bad company or Musk is a is a bad person. I'm saying. The economics of the business are not as good as people think because you got to take out the regulatory credits because those won't be around forever, as evidenced by every other legacy manufacturing car company producing electric vehicles now. And then you look at the future growth baked into the stock price, and you know it implies that that, that Tesla has like sixty percent minimum, sixty percent market share. The most successful car company of all time, I'd say, would, I'd say would be Toyota. And I think the most market share they've ever had is 11%. So, you know, Tesla, 200 bucks implying that it's going to own 60% of the electric vehicle market by 2031. Back to what you said before about NVIDIA. Oh, yeah, maybe. What about the people who say that Tesla is the next best, the, the next greatest thing? Elon Musk is going to change the world. I'm telling you, it's already priced in and then some. And I'm also telling you that Tesla's already starting to lose market share Outside of the United States and China and Europe, market share growth in the U.S. is effectively flat. Everybody's coming at them. They don't have a monopoly on the electric vehicle market in the way that you need to get to anything close to 60%. They're lucky, to, I think, to eventually end up with 10. So we think the stock's more like, you know, worth maybe 25, 30, uh, realistically. And, you know, I've I've seen some other folks, Aswath Damodaran, you know, has told me, David, you're right about Tesla if it's only a car company, but I'm giving credit to the the um, solar panel and and battery business. And I'm like, well, those businesses have done nothing. And and everything I read about Solar City is that state of New York got really a bad deal there. Um, battery technology is falling behind. Um, you know, they also talk about the self driving technology falling behind, ranked last, I think, uh, amongst the amongst the major firms. So. You know, I, I just think that the other alternative businesses to save the Tesla stock are false narratives 
And the evidence supports that. Yeah, Uber, I mean, look, they just, they don't make any money. Um, cash flow has been, been really pretty terribly negative for most of its life. Uh, and it's a commodity business. Tell me the value add. It's, a, it's just another form of a taxi. Last I checked, right, taxi businesses, you know, aren't billion dollar businesses. I mean, it's a taxi business. Is, is, it, is it worth $160 billion valuation? It's got a return on invested capital of, of 5%. Economic earnings are negative. And, and yet the valuation implies some, you know, absurd amount of growth. Absurd amount of growth. It's a zombie stock. Um, zombie stock number 12 out of about 26. The, the valuation, when we wrote this report, you know, was about half of what it is now. And uh, at 32 bucks a share, the stock price implied the company uh, had to uh, improve its margins to a positive 4% and they'd been negative 6%, most, negative most of its life and grow revenue by 31% compounded annually for a decade, at which point it would have around $264 billion in revenue. And at its current take rate, its bookings would be $1.4 trillion or 100, 178% of the total addressable market. Right now, they're at 72% of the total addressable market in rideshare, 27% of food delivery. But the stock price at $32 a share implied 178%. So at 75 bucks a share, um, you know, we think it's just it's just really overpriced and, and a business that I don't think ever sustainably makes money. You know, they run specials and they occasionally get profitable for a short amount of time, but I don't know if it's sustainable. There's also was news around a driver strike and how the business model is getting worse for the drivers. Does that figure into any of your thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they they have effectively convinced a lot of these drivers to operate at below cost because the drivers aren't taking into account the depreciation of the vehicles. And, and so it's effectively an unprofitable activity that's going to catch up with them and you're going to see more strikes like this. Uh, you know, and, and and look, I mean, the software they've created is not that difficult to create. We've seen other startup rideshare companies emerge in other markets like Austin, you know, where they didn't allow the Uber folks because they weren't providing background checks. Um, you've got other models that are going to be more focused on safety and security, and maybe people will will pay even a premium for that. Uh, but the point is that the competitive mode around Uber's business is really shallow. And the force of their employees, one of their key inputs, is very strong. It's a very strong influence. And um, so they're just not in a real position to be very profitable ever. And yet the valuations implying you know, enormous amounts of profitability and market share. And, and so there's just risk reward is bad. That's what it comes back to, Rena. Risk reward is bad. You know, we, we want businesses that are profitable and have low expectations for future cash flows baked into their stock price. Low expectations for market share. We'd rather have market share losses implied. But when you've got a business with poor economics, poor competitive position, and evaluation that says they're going to take over the world and then some, 178% of the total addressable market you know, I'm a hard pass. It, I, I think in this world, it's it's more difficult to get smart at the same time that it's easier to get smart. There's so many ways. I mean, speaking to the signal noise ratio, um, but I think a lot of truthful nuggets in here that a lot of people would try and dispel. But I, I think a lot of smart 
smart ways to look at these things that a lot of people are looking at in, in different ways. Um, David, as we wind down, anything that you feel like would behoove investors in addition to what you've already shared to be thinking about or not thinking about? Yeah, I think just understand the inherent conflict between people selling stock and research. So Wall Street's in the business of selling stock. That's how Wall Street makes money. Wall Street does not make money selling research. I know I was on Wall Street. I was there during the tech bubble. I've seen how the sausage is made. So be mindful of the signal to noise ratio when it comes to Wall Street research. They're in the business of selling stock. They don't make money selling research. So research analysts that, that don't help the bank sell stock, they don't stick around. Just look up Mike Mayo, Credit Suisse, uh, and you'll see a, you know, a, a case study on an analyst who was fired because he wasn't as bullish as the bankers wanted him to, wanted him to be. And there are plenty, there's plenty of other papers and studies that support what I just showed you. Uh, the, the other thing is doing your diligence is a worthwhile activity. Peace of mind matters. And so I encourage you to look for firms whose research is transparent and independent and gives you reason to trust them. Because if you're doing good work, there's no reason you shouldn't share it. And I think if, if the research is not transparent, uh, it's probably not transparent for a reason. So um, understand the motivations of the people that are selling your research and writing reports and challenge their transparency. Because if you're doing good work, there's no reason you shouldn't show it. And if you're not showing it, it's probably for a reason. So uh, that's that's what I would that's what I would leave people with. Cheers to that. If I can ask one more question, just in terms of earnings, as we're in the thick of it, any any general takeaways there? I, you know, I think it, it, you know it's it's uh it's going to be an interesting time. Um, you know, look, we are coming out of a time when when we saw companies throw the kitchen sink in on earnings, where they purposely understated the earnings. Um, you know, back during COVID and and. 2021, some of 2022, when markets weren't good. Um, and so, you know, in the second half of last year, we saw people take some of that money out of the cookie jar because when they understate earnings, they set it aside later to use when markets are better. I think a lot of that's been used up. We are seeing an economy that is slowing in some places. It's not super hot. And so, you know, in conjunction with the Fed really trying to walk this tight line of a soft landing and investors getting smarter about capital allocation, not every company is going to be shooting the moon in terms of earnings. We're going to start to see the wheat separate from the chaff, good businesses and bad businesses. A lot of these meme stocks, zombie stocks, are going to hit the skids. And when they do, they're going to get punished big time, as we've seen with something like True Panion and Peloton and Affirm. Uh, and other stocks here recently that have been down in a big way. Kava Group down 10%. Trupanion down 20, 30% here recently. Firm down 5% today. Uh, you know, you know, just, just be careful, right? I mean, live by the sword, die by the sword. So if you rode this thing up on speculation and momentum, know that it can go down just as fast and just as brutally, if not more. So earnings is going to be, I think earnings is going to be really, really, really more telling this year. This is this is not going to be when everybody's just doing great. And it's all the more time for footnotes to, to be important, to understand the true numbers, because companies can fake it for a little while. The cookie jar can last a while, but not forever. 
Any articles discussed today, you can find links to them on our show notes. And all episodes have transcripts available on Seeking Alpha. And for those wanting to follow breaking news and general news coverage of the markets, come listen with us at Wall Street Breakfast for all your market news needs. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. This is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app, and we'll see you soon with a new episode.